Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever, and this is episode 161, I guess. It gets a little hard to keep track sometimes due to all the two-parters, interview specials, and audio doc episodes, but 161 sounds good to me. Let's see, any shout-outs or housekeeping before I start? Uh, Well, I'd like to thank the usual crew for interacting with me on the Facebook page, John Haas, Russ Ray, and also someone new, Will Nist. He's contributed a lot of thoughtful commentary recently. I was worried that some people might have been offended by the explicit nature of my recent C-Web interview, but I've been receiving some positive feedback, and Will had the following to say. I can't believe I listened to the whole thing, but I want to get a better handle on you since I've noticed we share a lot of similar background. I also was a Catholic, still am a Catholic atheist according to some. I was always fascinated by philosophy, especially epistemology. Actually was my college major. Oh my god, another Shroud of Turin freak. I actually saw it. It does look like Jim Caviezel. And I was terrified by the exorcist when I first saw it. Three people fainted in the matinee I attended. Very cool. Yeah, it does look like we have a lot in common. Thanks for joining the conversation, Will. I appreciate it. And thanks for enduring the entirety of that three-hour or more conversation. And for any of my faithful listeners who happen to have sensitive ears, don't worry. The tone of that interview wasn't meant to be taken as a sign of things to come. I shall be returning to the relatively respectful tone of the usual format. After doing this show for about three years, though, it did feel pretty good to finally let my guard down and cut loose a little. Can't promise it will never happen again. If it does, though, it'll probably be under similar circumstances on some rare occasion where I find myself having another friendly conversation with a fellow podcaster over a few drinks. But for the easily offended among you, if things do get a bit raunchy, I'll make sure to give you a heads up in the form of an explicit content warning. And I want to thank C-Web again for being good enough to come on the show. He's a busy guy with a lot on his plate, but I kind of trapped him. He really wanted me to join his fantasy football league. And as regular listeners probably already know, I have zero interest in sports. Uh, But out of friendship, I said, hey, why not? But the Machiavellian part of me took the opportunity to nail him down for an interview. Quid pro quo, I believe they call it. And due to my drunken impression of Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs, Chris has taken to calling me Buffalo Phil. Um, Maybe I should do a whole episode in that voice. Uh, But then again, nah, that would probably get old pretty quick. But anyway, vulgarity aside, I hope everyone enjoyed that epic interview episode. And if you're not already a subscriber, please check out Chris's podcast, Paranormal Skeptic Academy. And if they're still up on iTunes, check out his old C-Web Sunday School episodes, too. Okay, enough with the house cleaning, let's do some news stories. First up is a strange little story that surprisingly blew up and captured national attention. I say surprisingly because it's almost a non-story in my opinion, but I think it still merits discussion. It's regarding the case of a Duke University student who happens to be a devout Christian. They were offended by the subject matter of one of the books on their summer reading list and decided not to read. And if I understand the facts correctly, there were some other Christian students, too, who took a similar stance. I wonder how they'd react to my drunken conversation with C-Web. But that's probably not on the syllabus. 
but maybe it should be. But anyway, I'll read a news story that offers a kind of brief synopsis. And this is from WGNTV.com. University student refuses to read award-winning novel calling it anti-Christian. Some freshman students at Duke University are refusing to read the critically acclaimed novel Fun Home, which was assigned on their summer reading list. Why? Because it goes against their Christian beliefs. The graphic novel, which won many awards, made the New York Times bestseller list and was recently adapted into a musical that took home five Tonys this year, tells the hard-hitting story of its author Alison Bechtel coming to terms with her homosexuality and discovering that her father, who commits suicide, was gay. This content was considered to be inappropriate by several students enrolled at the non-sectarian university. Many spoke out and refused to read the book. I feel as if I would have to compromise my personal Christian moral beliefs to read it, Brian Grasso wrote on the Duke University Class of 2019 Facebook page. Duke did not seem to have people like me in mind. It was like Duke didn't know we existed, which surprises me. Several others joined Grasso in his protest, posting their views on social media and writing letters to the student newspaper. Okay, and uh, not only did this story go national, but apparently also landed the student in question, Brian Grasso, an op-ed in the Washington Post. I was going to read some excerpts from that, uh, but maybe instead uh, I'll play a clip from the Young Turks. They had an interesting take on this story. And speaking of sensitive ears, I should probably warn you that there is an F-bomb in this uh, following clip. But here we go. Incoming freshman students at Duke University are upset at an optional reading selection book that was included in a summer reading program. Now, the name of the book is Fun Home by a New York Times uh, winning author by the name of Allison Bechtel. Okay? Now, the book is about her life as a lesbian and also her father, who was a closeted gay guy. And so it's a little bit of a memoir. It obviously has some gay themes in it, and it also includes some illustrations that are sexually explicit, mm. including lesbians having oral sex and things like that. Now, Brian Grasso is one of the incoming freshmen that was upset at this selection. He has decided that he is not going to read it, and he actually went on Duke's Class of 2019 Facebook page and aired his grievances about the book. As a result, some people disagreed with him, other students agreed with him, and then this turned into a national headline. Now, the reason why this story enrages me is because Duke and most colleges are institutions of higher learning where you're supposed to deal with people who challenge your values and your beliefs. And unfortunately, Brian Grosso seems unwilling to be challenged, although he did rewrite a very lengthy op-ed about this in the Washington Post, and I want to give you his side of the story, and then we'll discuss. One quick thought here. Uh, so as Anna's about to read you this, uh, understand that I think he's doing this for the shine, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and he actually, in a lot of ways, sounds like a Muslim uh, fundamentalist, okay? Mm -hmm. And in fact, he says that at one point. He says, oh, I, one of the most enthusiastic supporters I had was a Muslim who really believes I sh you shouldn't be looking at cartoons either. I'm not sure that's really a selling point. <laughs> okay, right. he literally talks about cartoons that he found offensive. Yeah, I wonder what that sounds like. Now, he's not taking any violent action or anything like that. I don't want you to misunderstand. But let's, let's find out about how uh, touchy Mr. Grasso is. Okay, he says, after researching the book's content and reading a portion of it, 
I choose to opt out of the assignment. My choice had nothing to do with the ideas presented. I'm not opposed to reading memoirs written by LGBTQ individuals or stories containing suicide. I'm not even opposed to reading Freud, Marx, or Darwin. Are you not merciful? Oh, okay. I know that I'll have to grapple with ideas I don't agree with, even ideas that I find immoral. I think there is an important distinction between images and written words. If the book explored the same themes without sexual images or erotic language, I would have read it. But viewing pictures of sexual acts, regardless of the genders of the people involved, conflict with the inherent sacredness of sex. <laughs> My beliefs extend to pop culture and even Renaissance art depicting sex. Oh, you poor, poor son of a bitch. Okay. okay. All right, so let's break this, start to break this down a little bit. Um, uh, so, what were we negotiating here? Uh, you know what? I'll give you Freud and, and Darwin and Marx. Okay, I'll read those. Okay, mm -hmm. but here are the things I will not read, and I know Renaissance art in this book and that book. I'm not negotiating with you. I'm your professor. You're my student. If you don't like it, here's what you're going to do. You're going to fail. You're going to flunk out of my class, and then you could be a wonderful Christian martyr then, or a Muslim martyr. I, there's going to be guys who yeah. might agree with you on that side. Oh my God! They made me look at a boob. <laughs> and he failed me. Okay, then he failed you. Hey, then uh, what I thought you were strong and brave and you're willing to do whatever it takes for your faith, right? I'm not negotiating with you about what the curriculum is. No, I can't. This story enrages me because of many different reasons. First of all, from the perspective of someone who goes through the trouble of putting a syllabus together for her class, it is, it is, no, no, like, I'm not, that's not a humble brag, okay? Putting a syllabus together and deciding what the curriculum will be, it, it takes a lot of work, okay? A lot of work, very little pay, a lot of passion. And so when a professor puts something together to educate you and then you turn around and say, no, I'm not going to do this because of my religion, well, then get the fuck off the campus, okay? I'm not saying you should be kicked off. I, I, or kicked I out. We'll get to that in a second. No, no, no. I don't think he should be kicked out. But I would fail him for that assignment in a heartbeat. Okay. Okay, so I might not be as sanguine about this story as the Young Turks, but we're pretty much simpatico on the subject. I think it's a fairly clear-cut, open-and-shut case, or at least it should be. This is a college, university, the professor decides on the curriculum and the course materials, not the student. And as was mentioned, if something on the required reading list conflicts with your religious sensibilities, too bad. And as even the student Brian Grasso himself admits, it's an institute of higher learning, it's college where it's expected, you're going to be exposed to diverse ideas and worldviews, including some that may be in opposition to your own. It's a free country, no one can force you to read anything, but as an adult you should accept the fact that your decision may have academic repercussions, and that failing to read a required text is most likely going to impede your performance in the class, perhaps even leading to a poor or failing grade. As long as you're not expecting the professor to bend to your will and magically pass you, even when you didn't do the required work, I don't care if you read it or not. It's your individual choice. There's nothing wrong with making a principled stand. Just be ready to accept the consequences. I think the thing that offended me the most is when he said that his distaste for visual depictions of sexuality extends to fine art, including Renaissance art. 
I don't know if it's the artist or art lover in me or what, but that did stop me in my tracks. That does kind of smack of the ugly fundamentalist mindset akin to that of the Islamic extremists, namely ISIS, that have been in the news destroying precious works of art from the ancient world, basically erasing human history in the name of narrow-minded fundamentalism. And there's been a slew of those stories about ISIS destroying artifacts and monuments in the news lately. For those of us that care about ancient history, it's very disheartening. On a positive note, I recently saw a news story about how archaeologists are getting ready to deploy cameras so they can at least catalog as many of those ancient pieces as possible before ISIS destroys them. I think the plan then is to recreate them using 3D printing. I'd obviously much rather have the originals, but it's something at least. And I just spotted another one of these ISIS articles that's only about six hours old. It's Monday morning, August 31st, as I'm recording this, one of those rare occasions where I happen to have a uh, morning off. But the story's from CNN, and I'll read a little bit from it now. ISIS damages Bell, Syria's most important temple, rights group says. And this story is by Don Melvin and Shams El Wazer, I think it is. I hope I didn't butcher that too badly. The iconic columns of a temple with historical significance in Palmyra, Syria, are still standing despite an explosion there Sunday. The antiquities chief in Syria, Mamoun Abdakarim, said Monday. He said there was an explosion Sunday inside the walls of the Temple of Bel, and while the extent of the damage is not yet known, witnesses report the walls are still standing. He called the site the most important temple in Syria, and one of the most important in the whole Middle East. For nearly 2,000 years, the Temple of Bel has been the center of religious life in Palmyra. But now at least part of the temple has been destroyed by ISIS, according to the UK-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, which relies on a network of activists in Syria for information. ISIS has become known not only for its brutal executions, but for its hatred of antiquities and its wanton destruction of them. Recently, it executed Khaled al-Assad, an 82-year-old man who spent his life on the painstaking task of preserving antiquities in Palmyra because he refused to reveal where various irreplaceable relics had been hidden. And now apparently ISIS has damaged the Temple of Bel. Abdul Karim had told CNN on Monday that officials were working to confirm the reports with sources in the city. And it's sad, right underneath that article, there's a bunch of related articles all having to do with the destruction of temples and artifacts by ISIS. It's such needless and senseless destruction, and something just occurred to me. Much of this artwork and architecture predates Islam, and yet previous generations of Muslims throughout the centuries didn't seem to be threatened by these works or felt the need to destroy them. But I guess ISIS thinks they know better. If you look at Islamic cultures and nations like Egypt, Iraq, Iran, they seem to be able to take pride in their rich pre-Islamic history without feeling that it threatens their faith. I'm sure there may be some imams or mullahs who may have fundamentalist attitudes towards this stuff, but nevertheless, we haven't seen this rampant destruction of pre-Islamic art and architecture until ISIS, that I'm aware of at least. There may have been other such fundamentalist uprisings in the past, but I don't know. There is that famous story about Muhammad supposedly destroying the 360 idols at the Kaaba in Mecca, so maybe that plays some role in ISIS's thinking. But on the other side of the coin, Islam itself clearly has since its inception absorbed or adopted aspects of Arabian paganism. Uh, but anyway, don't destroy ancient art. 
Uh, with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. Uh, you guys know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. Please follow the show on Twitter. Please check out the YouTube channel. You can also listen on Stitcher. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes. You can also rate the show via iTunes. You can go to Podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and check out the archives going all the way back to episode one. Just go to Podbean and search for The Week in Doubt. While you're there, if you feel like supporting the show, You can contribute as little as 99 cents through the PayPal widget. You can also support the show monetarily via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash theweekindoubt. And for as little as $1 a month, you'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll also gain access to bonus content. Right now, it's the audio documentary, A Brief History of St. Patrick, as well as the audio version of the H.P. Lovecraft short story, The Tomb, which I recently recorded. With all that being said, thanks for listening, and until next week.